You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Alones. Great to have you join us again this week. And on today's show, we have Ridley Plummer, Metaverse and NFT Project Manager at Tennis Australia. Ridley, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So can you share some details about your background at Tennis Australia and what you're responsible for as probably one of the best job titles I've heard of, uh, of 2022 in Metaverse and NFT Project Manager? Yeah, I don't think uh, six or 12 months ago, we would have thought that anyone would have had uh, a title like that. But fortunately, I, uh, I managed to fall into the position of Metaverse and development team uh, and had sort of been dabbling in, in crypto and NFTs myself in the background a little bit, uh, probably over the last two or three years. And a, a number of the execs and, and leadership team within the business knew that. And when this role came up, which I guess was invented in a way, uh, they came to me and, and sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, we know you dabble around a little bit. Are you interested in taking on this opportunity? So that was uh, around the 1st of November last year. And, and here we are in, in the first, second week of March. And yeah, a hell of a lot of water has gone under the bridge between then and now. Great. So, I mean, how does that how does that roll to be? Like, how does that come to be? Obviously, that's the kind of the short version that you've given me here. But, but how does that really come to be in terms of, um, I guess, thinking about the metaverse, thinking about NFTs? Um, what's the journey been of Tennis Australia when it comes to this? Yeah, so that's probably a relatively short journey as well, I guess. Probably less than 12 months ago, we started exploring sponsorship opportunities within this space. So there's a lot of brands right now, particularly in the in the crypto space, that are spending a lot of money on sponsorships and partnerships. And we were exploring that and what that potentially meant for the AO. What we found quite quickly is that uh, the opportunity was a lot more than, than sponsorship. And, and as the, I guess, term metaverse was, was growing in market and, and NFTs were becoming a lot more mainstream and, and popular in the particularly the sporting marketplace, we started exploring what that meant for our business. And I think with the challenges that COVID has, has forced upon us in the last few years, we've obviously had challenges with getting people to our event and, and packing out the stands for one reason or another. So how we could use this metaverse and NFT world to, I guess, elevate the fan experience, but also, I guess, make the AO more accessible to a, a more global audience, uh, provided us with an opportunity to, to sort of dip our toe in. And, and probably mid to late last year, we, we sort of sat down around the table and said, look, I think there's a bigger opportunity here. How do we go about doing that? And at that point, we, we started researching what was happening out there, what other sporting organisations were, were dabbling around in this space as well, what they were doing uh, well, what they were doing poorly, and, and then took some learnings from that and, and then eventually got to, uh, got to the end of the year and, and had a couple of ideas around the metaverse and NFT, which, yeah, today is uh, our AO metaverse project, which is made up of our Decentraland build. So what is a, essentially a virtual replica of the AO and then our AO Art Balls collection, which is a true Web3 NFT collection uh, focusing on, I guess, a combination of art, sport, data and technology. And then our Sweet collection, which is a, a bit more of a Web2 focused collection that is a, 
a um, decades collection of, of AOs or Australian Opens from years gone by and features a, a collection that uh, spans the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties and uh, 10s and 20s. So quite a lot of items to collect there and a little bit of gamification as well that, that came into play there. So, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of items in play, but, yeah, a lot of fun over the last couple of months as well. Great. And, I mean, for me, it's, it's and maybe I'm biased because I'm from Melbourne and grew up the Australian Open, but I was, I was really excited to see it uh, come to life, I guess, for such a fantastic event and something that kicks off the the uh, major event calendar and tennis calendar and all that kind of stuff. So can you actually share about what was the AO NFT drop at this year's event? What what did those those art balls look like? Just kind of give us the 101 on that. Yeah, so when we were originally ideating what this NFT could be, there was obviously a big focus on tennis and players. But what we quickly found was that we couldn't utilise player IP in the way that the likes of an NBA top shot or, or some of the other um, football leagues or, or other leagues and, and sports rights holders across the world have been able to because the tennis fraternity is quite fragmented in the way the players are managed. Yeah. So we had to think outside the box a little bit there. And so we had a number of ideas that we, we came up with through our partners at, at Run It Wild who were, were effectively building the program for us. One of those was the art ball. So it was effectively, and what you will see is the, the 3D rendered tennis ball that then has art wrapped onto it to look like a, a proper tennis ball. There was then another concept that used data to, uh, I guess, create artwork in the form of an NFT. But we didn't feel that those two ideas stood strong enough by themselves. So we kept working to sort of, I guess, think about how we elevated one or the other. And then we had the idea of taking the data from option B and plugging that into option A to, I guess, keep the product evolving at, at any given time throughout the tournament. But that's not limited to the tournament. It's then stretches throughout the year with anything else that we also want to plug into that product. So we then had this moment of, oh, we're creating something that no one's ever done before here it's an nft that's driven by data that updates in real time uh, relevant to or relative to what's happening on the court at any given time so the way that that then functioned was the art ball was in its visual form uh, we then divided the court so the australian open tennis court up into 6776 individual plots that were 19 by 19 centimeters each each nft then linked to one of those plots on the court if a match winning point landed on that plot we would then update the nft with a small sticker that represented the round that it was played in and the championship that it was played in and then the data or the metadata on the back end of the nft would be updated to represent the championship that it was in um, the round that it was in and the player that won the match so you were seeing these real-time updates made and it, 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 we saw it engaging fans in a way that they've never really been engaged before in the sense that if you owned one of these NFTs, you were watching the matches and watching as many matches as you could to see where 
those match-winning points were landing and if they were landing on your plot of the court. So that was sort of a, almost a derivative of what, what the project was meant to be, that it it uh, it increased viewership of, of tennis and increased the engagement of fans and even non-tennis fans that were then coming across from, I guess, the Web3 native world to watching the Australian Open because they had bought an AO article. And is that, I mean, that's... That kind of meeting of worlds is is how I would describe it. Is some similar similar conversations that we we're having in the middle of the pandemic about esports and esports fans, and then traditional fans, both in air quotes. And I, I think about um, we had Dr. Julian Tan from uh, Formula One on the show, and he was responsible for digital initiatives and esports. And he talked about esports fans of racing simulations weren't necessarily Formula One fans that would go to a track, and vice versa. But you have these initiatives that cross over and the worlds kind of come together. And as you said, you have the digitally native Web3 kind of people that are, that are looking at blockchain, NFTs, stuff like that, are excited about the technology. And then tennis is a gateway. This is a gateway to tennis as a sport. And I guess the other way is um, the technology is a gateway for tennis fans coming across. That's a great point. Yeah, they're, they're, we sort of found this really nice cross-section of uh, yeah, the Web3 crypto native audience and tennis fans meeting in the middle. And I think what was important for us when we when we first started the project, we identified that it was going to be really difficult to bring tennis fans into the Web3 world because it's not just something that you do on a whim overnight. But bringing the Web3 audience closer to tennis was going to be, I guess, the target audience for us. And and I think we succeeded in doing that. And the, the reason that we, I, I can sort of say that we succeeded there is because we use Discord as, I guess, our window to the marketplace. And I, I think Discord is something that is yet to be explored uh, through a lot of the, the brands and, and large corporations and organisations that, that I've been talking to. I guess they don't understand the power of that, what we would call a chat room in for a lot of, um, a lot of senses. So, so what is the people that do don't understand that? What is Discord? Um, at its uh, explain to me like I'm five or a very smart Labrador. <laughs> what is Discord? Discord is a, effectively a private chat room that we host for anyone who wants to join the AO Metaverse project. So they can, I guess, come in, see any announcements that we're making chat or converse with other like-minded individuals in a number of different rooms that we create, whether it be talking about tennis or the metaverse or Web3 technology or crypto prices, whatever that happens to be, we can create a space for them to go and converse in. And at any point, they can come and go, um, they can join the server, they can leave the server, and it basically provides us with a window into our community. So. I would make an assumption that there's a lot of art ball owners in there that are as in there to um, see what the newest updates are, what, what the latest news with the project is, talk to other people that own art balls as well. But then there's probably people that might be a previous owner that might be looking to get back into the project. They might be talking about why they left the project or why they're looking to get back into the project. There might also then be new guests that are, are simply there to explore as well and and it, I think it is a, a true window into a community and a, a window into an audience that is really important right now in this space because 
we're all learning so much so quickly and the space does move so quickly as well that having that real-time validation of, of what we believe or, or hypothesis that we're thinking um, is fantastic to use that um, that Discord channel for that. So how does that, I mean, obviously as a, as a chat room, there are platform functionalities that are different from social media, for instance, but is that, do you think you get better insights, data, even just the, the kind of, I guess, the softer stuff in terms of um, reading the room than you would get from social media? So people, Facebook comment posts or, you know, tweets, Instagram comments, stuff like that. Does it have a kind of richness and depth to it that social media doesn't? Yeah, I find that it does because it's it's more conversational. I think what we see with social media is statements uh, or bold questions, and there then tends to be a, a very fragmented conversation that may come in the form of comments on the back of that, whereas the Discord channels, because of the, I guess, the um, hyper-fast nature of that space, people are talking almost in real time to one another and you can see conversations playing out in real time whereas that can happen on on social media but it might happen over hours or days where people come back to comments with their their statements or their their uh, opinions as well whereas discord is very much the here and now okay great and did ao do anything in this space and take defining this space in terms of Web3, NFTs, blockchain, anything before 2022? What was kind of the closest that the initiatives have been done up until this point? Yeah, so nothing specifically in this space. Um, and I'm glad you asked what was what was the closest because um, at, at a stretch, I guess the closest is some of the, the virtual reality experiences that we've had and we've, we've put 360 cameras on court before and allowed people to, to view from on court through Oculus or the likes. Uh, we've also had some VR experiences on site through some of our partners. But then we have our, our PlayStation and Xbox games as well, so AO Tennis. That's probably the closest that we've got to a real digital Web3 or blockchain-esque experience. So this was certainly an evolution of, of those uh, virtual reality experiences and, and um, gaming experiences. We've also had a, a great partnership with Fortnite over the last three or four years where we've had um, one of the, the largest Fortnite tournaments, particularly in the, the Southern Hemisphere with AO Summer Smash that's been happening at, at the AO for the, the last few years. And look, it's been a, a really successful uh, avenue into that again, new audience that that may otherwise not be a, a tennis fan as such, but they might be a, a gaming fan and, and bringing them into the AO and the tennis fraternity through through gamification has been a, uh, a huge success for us. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And, I mean, what are the main impediments? Talking about that, 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 that it is definitely a minor community it's not mainstream. Well, those these conversations are happening a lot around Web three, and obviously a lot's been made of Facebook's name change, um, regardless of whether that is anything to do with the metaverse. Um, but it's it, it is common parlance now. People are talking about it a lot more. Um, most people don't know what it is or or how, as you said, would you would engage with NFTs or or cryptocurrencies or something like a version of the, of the metaverse, but 
What are the mainstream kind of impediments to adoption of NFTs? Yeah, I think at the moment it is probably adoption is one of the the biggest factors that the the audience right now is so small. Um, we're talking to one percent of the one percent in a lot of ways. If if we've got a million followers on on our AO social channels, marketing to that audience, we're only hitting a very 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 small percentage of those that we know would be dabbling or playing around in this space. So I think right now for us as a brand trying to to go where that audience is has been important um i guess one of the the biggest impediments is that we don't have a natural audience that is playing in that space they're educating themselves right now and they're probably um talking to their friends that might be uh, investing in nfts or crypto but there's probably an element of, of skepticism that comes with it as well i think there's a lot of that in the market right now um which happens with everything. Whenever anyone does anything new or there's a new technology, there's always going to be skeptics out there. I think right now uh, it is being voiced quite loud because of the fact of the likes of Facebook jumping into this play, this space, and and making such big bold moves. But this is this is an evolution of technology that's been happening for 10, 20, 25, 30 years ever since the the internet started. Really, which I think a lot of people will have a bit of oversight there that I think the internet is really the larger metaverse play here that we had things like MySpace back in the day and we've played Sims and Second Life and this right now and, and the, the ability of the technology to be more powerful in this space is simply an evolution of where those games and, and platforms came from in the past. Right now in the metaverse, we we create an avatar that is a representative of ourselves. But 10, 15 years ago, we created a MySpace page that was effectively an avatar of ourselves where you picked what it looked like and what music it had on it and um, what your name was and who your best friends were. Like this is purely an evolution of that. So I think those skeptics probably need to uh, need to be um, a little bit more open-minded about where we come from and where we're potentially going as well. And how does, because there's obviously issues with, I mean, the technology has come on leaps and bounds, don't get me wrong, but there's certainly issues with things like um, gas prices and the kind of practicalities of it and market fluctuations that do scare people off. Um, and those critics that you mentioned point to and go, hey, you know, this is this is a big issue with it, environmental sustainability, all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of those things are beyond the realm of sports, beyond our control, beyond our you know, so far beyond our sphere of influence that it is, it is truly a, a technology issue that needs to be solved. What role does sports have in pushing forward these solutions considering they are outside of our sphere of influence? Do we just wait until the kind of tech gets better or, or where does that sit? Yeah, I think it's a, I guess it's a responsibility of, of us to use our platforms as a, as a point of education in, in this space as well. And We've also got a great opportunity to learn from from what's going on here. I I look at where different technologies have come in the past, and and I don't think we ever would have thought of putting LED signage around a tennis court or a football stadium or anything like that 30, 40, 50 years ago. But the technology allowed us to to innovate in that way and, and bring that forward, and that opened up more commercial opportunities or viability, which 
in turn provides the fan or the audience with a better viewing experience or a better event. So I think what's important here is that if we're using this technology, it has to be of benefit to the fan. And, and that's really important because our sports and our leagues and our um, entertainment doesn't exist without the fan. And I think we've found that over the last couple of years that when fans can't get into the stadium, they were yearning to get back. They, they wanted to get back to live sport. And as soon as the doors were open, they were back in more ways than one. And I think if we have the opportunity to uh, evaluate this technology and learn from what's what's being done in market right now, but also, I guess, do our due diligence on on how to be responsible in in that and push it forward without damaging the environment or or our brand. That yeah, it's a really important factor to take into account. And you mentioned gas prices and sustainability. That was a big factor in in us going forward with our project. And for that reason, um, we chose to carbon offset the entire project. So uh, we did have people, I guess, conversing with us in Discord and on socials and, and have had a number of people sort of, I guess, accuse us of, of um, not being responsible in that space. But, yeah, we actually carbon offset the entire project. So, um, yeah, proud to say that, yeah, we were incredibly sustainable in the way that we went about it. And and that was purely because we took the time to do the research and, and knew exactly what we were what we were doing. Yeah, great. And sorry, I mentioned gas prices and, and you mentioned it there as well. Can you just explain what that is? I've, I've, my head's so far deep in this stuff. I'm, I'm coming up <laughs> there every, every so often, but I'm sure a lot of people don't know what um, what that terms is. Can, can you just give us a bit of an explanation? Yeah, look, in, in very simple terms, I guess it's a, it's a transaction fee, if anything. It's the, uh, it's, I guess, the cost of doing business on the blockchain with use of a, a, a blockchain like Ethereum or a project like Ethereum um, or platform, I should say, like Ethereum. Um, there are a lot of platforms out there that, that don't have gas fees like ETH does. Um, we chose to to um, mint on the Ethereum blockchain because we wanted to, I think, talk to a genuine uh, Web3 native audience. That was really important for us on this project as well, that if we were going to do it, we were going to do it properly and we were going to push the boundary as far as we could with what was available to us in this space. And I think, um, although I'm getting a little bit off topic here that was that was important that we we chose ethereum to to mint on for that reason so yeah to summarize it's it's basically a transaction fee and that and it fluctuates based on demand for that is that is that correct so it can be correct yeah yeah so basically the demand on the blockchain at at any given point in time um can fluctuate those gas fees from Look, it can be anywhere between a few dollars up to a few hundred dollars per transaction. So uh, depending how much activity there is in the market at any given time, um, yeah, that can that can fluctuate substantially. So it was it was definitely a strategy of ours to reduce those as, as much as possible. And that that is, I guess, choosing a, a minting time, uh, time of the day that might be um more fluid in the market uh, and may not have as high fees as as other given times where it might be busier in North America, for example, which is a uh, a uh, relatively crypto and NFT heavy area. 
Yeah. And so coming back to what you said about really having a purpose around working in this space and in doing projects with NFTs, blockchain, the metaverse, um, what, like, how do you measure ROI on that? And do you have advice for other sports entities looking to dive into this? That's a great question. Um, the ROI question was a challenge in creating what we created because we didn't really know what the outcome would be. So it was really hard to, to create a return on investment model for it. Um, I think when we look at our, our three streams, Decentraland, we knew that we were going to where there was already an audience. And we knew there was around 80,000 monthly active users at any given time in Decentraland. And if we could build a brilliant experience that replicated the AO and gave gamification and gave reason to return, we thought that getting 50,000 people to go through AO Decentraland would be a great result. Um, we ended up getting 172,000 unique visitors Whoa. through that. So we kind of hit that out of the ballpark. That was that was great. I don't think we ever expected that. But in hindsight, looking back, we said why these people came back so many times and why people wanted to come to the event was that because we created almost a mirror of the in-real-life experience at, at the AO where we want people to return because there are so many things to do and see at the event that when they come with their family on the first Monday and they go to the kids' ballpark and they have a, a great day out and everyone's exhausted by 3 p.m. and they haven't seen any tennis, the parents then say, hey, let's go back on Wednesday night and we'll buy a ticket into Rod Laver Arena and we'll have a nice dinner at one of the AO restaurants and we'll have a glass of champagne and a bit of a date night. And so they come back on Wednesday night and then they go, well, that was great, but I'm going to come back with my friends on the weekend. So then they come back on Saturday or Sunday and, have a few beers or a few wines with their friends and, and sit on Grand Slam Oval and, and catch up with people. And, and that brings them back three, four times. So what we wanted to do was create that in, in Decentraland as well. And I think we did that really well through the use of our archive footage, of which we have 50 years of footage from, from matches gone by and AOs gone by, along with gamification and, and collectibles like NFTs and wearables and POAPs. So for, for people listening that are not aware of a POAP, that's a proof of attendance protocol. So basically like a ticket stub to the event. So every time that you came to the AO in Decentraland, you'd get a POAP, which we can then use in the future for utility. So we can say anyone that came on day four of the AO in Decentraland and you've got the day four POAP, uh, we're going to give you a, an in real life ticket to day four at the Australian Open next year, for example. So um, more so than just holding on to a, a ticket stub or a, a lanyard or a, a wristband that you might have got an event, you now have a digital collectible in the form of a POAP that is your proof of attendance. So that what, was, sorry, just to jump in on that one, yeah. how much data can you glean off that? So you, you said you had the point if, if someone's got a uh, the POAP, which is my new favourite um, Web3 acronym, <laughs> but proof of attendance protocol, so that, that digital ticket stub, um, is that something that someone collects in Decentraland and then they redeem and that's when you get information off them or is that one of those things that that's a data point, either um, the user information, an email, whatever else? Like how much how much is there an exchange of, of data and, and information through these initiatives? Yeah, there's actually quite little. Um, the One of the unique things about Web3 is the, 
the anonymity that it provides people. So you basically are connecting to AO Decentraland with your digital wallet, which for the most part is is entirely anonymous. Um, we don't know that John Smith, who's 25 from Los Angeles, is, is the guy logging into Decentraland. We can ask those questions through surveys and, and a bit of respondent um, exploration in Discord, but for the most part, we don't know who those those people are. So when they have the, the PO app, um, and if they were to redeem it, we might be able to grab a little bit of information from them if we do need to provide them with a physical ticket or experience in the future. But for the most part, no, we don't have a lot of data. We we can see where people are logging in from um, because they're, they're, I guess, gated into the, the community through Decentraland. And we, we know that around 20% of our visitors were from the US, around 7% were from Australia. And then you start talking about a lot of threes and fours and two percents from a variety of different areas, some of which we didn't anticipate people to come yeah. in from the likes of uh, Turkey and, and Brazil and, and Hong Kong and, and Japan. So there was um, an audience coming in from, from all over the place, which was great to see as well, because that's exactly what we, we wanted to do. We wanted to, to take the audience to a, that's how we take the AO to an audience beyond Melbourne. And that's something that to anyone who will listen and to many people who won't listen is what I've been saying for the last kind of 18 months is these digital initiatives and now it's been, I guess, wrapped around the term metaverse um, is incredible for sporting events, um, teams, leagues to engage fans that are international, not just thinking about who's within 50 miles of your stadium or your event um, in the case of of the AO, but who's actually your global audience and how do you engage with them in a different way? And um, what's the, what's the next thing? Cause for me, I think the, the focus around first party data and understanding of fans, obviously that engagement's great to have those international fans, but is that something that's going to take priority in next iterations of this, of finding ways to um, capture fan data, obviously, opt-in and you know respecting privacy and stuff like that but is is that the kind of next evolution of this Look, there's an element of that um i don't think it was ever something that was necessarily the top of our tree when when we sort of yeah. jumped into this space because i guess there is such an element of anonymity in in this space which is why a lot of people like it and i think a lot why a lot of early adopters have, have come into the web3 space because of that and so i think we have to respect that through our journey going forward and we actually have a, a survey that we're putting out in the next week or so to try and find out a little bit more about our audience but the reason that we want to, to know that is so we can tailor our project to them better so we want to know if they're where, where they're based if they're based in the US are they in Austin or are they in LA or are they in Boston um, if they're in Australia where in Australia are they um, so what we can then do is I guess tailor experiences and and future experiences whether it be digital or in real life to that audience knowing where they're based and and what they would like out of the project i think that's important to ask as well is why did you invest in this project um what do you want us to do going forward what would add benefit to you as a, a holder of an ao art ball mm. so i think uh i'm really interested to see how that data comes back in the next uh next week or two because i think it'll it'll play a big part in where we go forward with this project. Well, that's, I mean, it's preempting my, my final question, which is where's the next <laughs> the AO and the metaverse? Is that, 
is it it depends on what your uh, your users want your fans want i guess yeah absolutely there'll be a big element of that i think we're we're in a position right now where this this project is is really in its infancy like we're we're 7 weeks into the project right now so the first i guess 2 or 3 weeks of that was a huge focus on the australian open but uh, where we take it next is is kind of limited by our imagination in a way that this web3 blockchain metaverse world is uh, i think a creative's delight um i come from a relatively creative background so the ideas are constantly flowing and and like i said are, are really only limited by what we can come up with and i think we've got probably 10 20 30 great brains and great minds working on this project both internally and externally that can come up with stuff that adds value to both our business uh, the the general tennis fan the web3 native and then obviously more importantly the holders and the investors in the project so um we are having great conversations in market with other rights holders with events around the world that that want to get involved with the project they want to provide whitelisting opportunities for our holders we'll ultimately have tickets or merchandise available or discounts or early access to to events that uh that people can't get if they're not a a holder of an AO art ball so mm. i think we're thinking about it a little bit like it's the the vip pass to the the back door of the australian open a little bit yeah linking that to to some utility um is is certainly the next interesting evolution of it and i think will provide sustainability for for projects in this rather than it just being a gimmick or a you know like people do with a your commemorative poster from a sporting event that unless it's it's really important it ends up in the recycling bin so um <laughs> yeah I, I i really like that and, and usually i would call bs if people say the sky's the limit and the creative possibilities and stuff like that but the more i learn about the space the more it really is it is um yeah we're really as you said just in the infancy of it so it's pretty exciting to see it come to life and also um see sports dive into it like the AO like you've done so quickly um and so successfully yeah thank you I think um what's what's great in this space as well is that it's evolving so quickly and and I think that's that's reason for uh us to try and push the creative lens of it as as hard and as fast as possible because there is there's a huge amount of people out there that are innovating in this space really quickly and i think when you come up with an idea that maybe isn't quite possible someone very quickly finds a way to make it possible and i think that's been been a great opportunity for us leading the pack in in this space and yeah it's exciting to see where it goes next great well we will look forward to um keeping track of that and i lied when i said it was a final question final final question uh, that we ask all our guests ridley is what is your favorite sporting moment of all time Oh wow! There's so many. <laughs> I I think you know what. Look, I, I this might sound a bit biased, but seeing Ash Barty win, uh, I knew it. Over, I knew it was going to be that. I knew that. Yeah. Look, there, there's so many. I, oh, it's great. I agree with you. Yeah. Amazing. First <laughs> Indigenous woman since Evan Gulagong. Um, yeah, and you yeah. know what? The the real goosebump moment when when I was at that that match was seeing Yvonne present Ash with the trophy after the to- after the, the tournament was over. It wasn't necessarily what was happening on court during the match. It was actually what happened after the match and the 
the uh, the story that goes behind that for a lot of people that that don't know it that yeah Yvonne Gulligan Corley has been one of the the greatest um, female Indigenous tennis players or arguably the greatest female Indigenous tennis player ever. Um, Ash Barty might be knocking on that door pretty soon, but to see her present the trophy to Ash uh, on Rod Laver Arena there was was a pretty special moment, and I'm glad that I got to be a uh, part of that. That's great. That, that was definitely a highlight of the summer. Um, for many Australians, um, through a pretty rough patch that seems to continue with some floods up in Queensland and a few other things that are happening around the world, obviously. Um, but it's it was great to see on home soil. So that's that's definitely one I agree with you there. So thank you so much, Ridley, for your time. Ridley Plummer, as I said, is the Metaverse and NFT Project Manager at Tennis Australia, including the Australian Open. And we can find you on Twitter at Ridley Plummer. And uh, the same on LinkedIn. So I'm actually going to include some links uh, in the show notes uh, for anyone that wants to get in touch. Brilliant. Thanks for having me.